humans, hello humans, hello humans of the world. Humans, how are you? It's me, Ellie Krug, talking to you live from lovely AM 950 from the bunker <laughs> in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. How are you? I am thrilled to be here on, on the next to last Saturday in October. I am here live, by the way. And uh, so it's the next to last Saturday in October, and it is the last show, number 249, before I hit the 250th episode mark. I mean, really. LA 2.0 Radio, 250 episodes coming up. But unfortunately, with all that is going on in my life, uh, I suspect I will not be able to do anything big for show number 250. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Maybe uh, next week we'll prove to bring something uh, that will make that memorable. You know, today, as I said, you have me live where you can actually pick up the phone and call in. And here's the number because I do love listening, hearing t- from my listeners, all four of you. I mean, it'd be great if all four of you called in today. The number is 952-946-6205. Or guess what? I've got the laptop open. Yes, I do. I've got it. I'm looking at it right now. You can email me. Uh, the email is Ellie, E-L-L-I-E-J, Krug, L-E-J Krug at Gmail. So if you don't want to call, but you'd like to weigh in or offer something while I'm doing this show live, feel free to email me. Okay. And, you know, after the show's over, if you want to email me, that's fine. I'd love to hear from you. We have a number of items on the agenda this morning, including uh, a clip from California Congresswoman uh, Katie Porter, uh, a featured idealist that I had on the show. Well, I featured her back in April of 2021. We'll get to her in a little bit. But let's begin uh, with this morning's prompt and uh, the uh, Time magazine piece that uh, spurred it. Uh, The Time article is titled, quote, the U.S. is heading toward a second civil war, period. Here is how we avoid it, unquote. And it's a, as I said, Time magazine piece came out on October 20th. Uh, The author is Peter Coleman, who is a professor of psychology and education at Columbia. And he's also the founding partner of Starts With Us, a movement to overcome extreme cultural and political divisions in America. I'm reading that, of course. The piece begins uh, with this uh, short story. So bear with me. It's a little – it's not all that long, but – uh, Peter Coleman writes, this is how the piece begins, quote, early this summer, I emailed a neighbor of mine who will call David and asked him to go for a walk with me in the park. Although we had lived in the same building on the Upper West Side of Manhattan for more than a decade, we had previously only shared pleasantries with one another in the elevator. But this neighbor's political views diametrically opposed my own. Given the dire, toxic, runaway path to civil war our nation is currently on, and as a professed conflict mediator, bipartisan bridge builder, and depolarization pundit, I felt it incumbent on me to reach out and try my best to walk my talk. My spouse also talked me into doing it. And then David goes on, okay, he goes on to relate uh, that the person that he spoke to, excuse me, um, Coleman, Peter Coleman is the author. He goes on to say that the person uh, that he spoke to, this David, okay, I'm sure that's a pseudonym, 
was not just a Republican but a Trump Republican. And as the story relates, um, they walked. They did. They took their walk. And as they did that, they started talking generally about some things, you know, a little bit about their story, about finding out where David was from, and uh, and a little bit about uh, Coleman's story. And then they came to uh, discover that they had a commonality around religion. Uh, and then that seemed to, you know, in some way uh, turn um, David a little bit more favorable towards Coleman. Coleman asked how David had come to support Trump. And in turn, he heard that David viewed Trump as the fixer for all problems that Barack Obama had created, that Trump had reversed America's backward sliding in the world. Coleman writes about how he had to repeatedly bite his tongue and simply retort, I see, as David went on and on. However, as Coleman writes, after extolling what David saw as Trump's great virtues, David suddenly lost steam. Coleman writes, hold on, I got to get the next quote. Here we go. Coleman writes this. Eventually, David concluded, should Trump run for president again in 2024? Probably not. With the stupid moves he made like going after a dead war hero, Senator John McCain in Arizona, and saying those ridiculous things to suburban women about COVID, he should probably just step back and make room for better GOP candidates to step up. Step up. Will he? I doubt it. But maybe he should. Now, that's what David is saying about uh, Donald Trump. Um, in the remainder of the article, Coleman lays out data about how a study last fall, and I think that this is still holds true, if not even worse, a uh, study last fall that 80% of Biden voters and 84% of Trump voters viewed elected officials of the other party as presenting clear and present dangers to democracy, and that 30% of Republicans, 11% of Democrats were willing to resort to violence to save our country. Coleman then explains in what becomes a way too long article, okay? Um, he, you know, he's an academic. The article is written like, you know, four other academics. It, I, I'm surprised that uh, Time Magazine didn't make him cut it down or at least put some bullet points in. But at any rate, still, it's an important article and I urge you to go and, and check it out. But he writes about a challenge where he and another group of progressive reached out to conservative folks – Trump supporters, for a series of conversations over a month-long period. Along that way, they began to understand that maybe David and um, uh, Coleman and his colleagues might also have some extreme views. A key part of the challenge was to have regular, weekly, if not a daily interaction with those who hold, held opposite views. And over time, if you do that, okay, like you interact with people who are different from you, who have diametrically opposed political views from you, over time, if you force yourself, if you are brave, okay, you come to understand that you have certain commonalities with them. Now, while Coleman's piece is uh, written like an academic paper, as I said, you know, um, the, the point is clear. We need to sit and talk with each other, as difficult as that may be. And the sitting needs to be talking not about politics, but about our stories, our lived experiences, the music we like, 
our hopes, our dreams, maybe some of our disappointments. Now this, I, I'm, you know, not that I'm anybody brilliant. Please understand that. But it's not any revelation to me, okay? If you have been following this show even for a short period of time, you know that I have repeatedly talked about the need for us to talk to each other. I've been saying this for, oh, geez, at least uh, seven or eight years. Certainly, um, at least since 2016, I've been saying it. Um, You know, and in fact, you may recall that I actually penned a piece but the Strib didn't pick it up and a couple of other publications didn't pick it up. It was titled, uh, The Land of 10,000 Lakes Needs 10,000 Talking Circles. Um, and that's because we, we need to have massive, on a massive scale, us talking with each other. We do. Now, I know that this is scary for people. I get that. I know it's uncomfortable. It can be bumpy. What are we going to say? What if I lose my temper? Oh, my God. What if they go on and on and on and on? You know, I understand all of that. But I've got to tell you, if we don't do it, everyone, we're not going to get there. We won't. So here's the prompt for you, okay? You know, we've got another, uh, I don't know, uh, 43 minutes of the show left. So here's the prompt. Have you reached out to someone on the other side of the political ledger? Have you done that? And if you haven't done it, what would it take for you to do that, to be comfortable? I'd love to hear from you. Please give me a call, 952-946-6205. I would love to hear from you about that. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back from the break, I got other things to talk with you about. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug. One of the relatively few transgender radio hosts in the world. I haven't said that for a long time. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Reach out to me and email me at elliejkrug at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. And we'll be back in a second. We're back. Ellie 2.0 Radio and lovely AM 950. Now, um, you know, I'm relatively a hack as a um, radio host. I will readily admit to that. What I should have done before I ended the last segment was at least give you again the title of the piece from Time Magazine that I was talking about. So here you go. It's by Peter Coleman in Time Magazine. You can get it online. Dated October 20th, 2022 titled, The U.S. is Heading Toward a Second Civil War. Here is how we avoid it. And of course, we've had so much, so much discussion about the division and, you know, in in civil war. I, I have, you know, I think people think that we'd have a civil war, but you'd still be able to go to Target. You know, Target still be open, wouldn't it? Yeah, we'd still be able to, you know, there might be a little bit more, you know, supply side issues, but but we still go to Target, couldn't we? You know, if we had a civil war and, and, you know, drive through, you know, at McDonald's, that would still be open, wouldn't it? Yeah, I don't think we have any idea. Okay. Well, if you want to get an idea, go look at what's going on in um, Ukraine. Yeah, 
you get some kind of idea about that. Just be a whole lot worse. Whole lot worse. And the front lines would be in so many different places. Okay, enough about that. Boy, isn't that very, very optimistic there, Ellie? Okay, so give me a call at 952-9466-205. The prompt is, have you ever reached out to somebody from the other side? And if not, what would it take for you to do that? Okay. All right. So uh, I got a number of different things I want to talk with you about. Now, those of you who are long time, long, long, long time listeners may recall um, that uh, about a year and a half ago, no, 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 we're talking three years ago. Sorry about that. In October of 2019, our featured idealist was Benjamin Salisbury of the Emmett Till Interpretive Center in Mississippi. Now, you may recall, okay, Emmett Till, 14-year-old black, young black man, murdered um, in Money, Mississippi, uh, because he um, allegedly disrespected a white woman who later on said it didn't happen. But he was taken in the middle of the night. Emmett Till was down in Mississippi visiting his great aunt and uncle. Uh, He lived in Chicago. Uh, He was the only – he was the only uh, child of Mamie Till uh, who lived in Chicago with Emmett. She put him on a train, sent him down to Mississippi to go spend some time with his relatives so that he could get – you know – understand his roots, and um, and while he was down there, he was murdered, taken in the middle of the night by white men, and then murdered. And what happened after that was they some search for his body. They found his body, and uh, uh, the body was sent back to Chicago, and Mamie Till made the decision uh, to not have a closed casket, to let the world see how incredibly disfigured her son was from being beaten to death. And it shocked the nation, shocked the conscience of America. This is 1955. And many credit that decision by Mamie Till as being part of the jump, jumping off point for the modern civil rights movement. Now, I'm telling you all of this because the movie – the Till movie is coming out. Um, I think it was released in Phoenix uh, this week and I think it is now I, – I think it may be here in the Twin Cities this weekend. I'm not certain. But you know what? This movie has got a 99 on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know when's the last time – I don't know if I've ever seen a movie with that higher rating from Rotten Tomatoes. The movie uh, is by a director, Chinoe. Uh, Chuka, okay, a black, a very dynamic black woman. It stars um, uh, Jalen Hill, excuse me, Jalen Hall as Emmett Till, and Danielle uh, Deadweiler uh, is uh, stars as as uh, Mamie Till. Whoopi Goldberg is also also in the movie. Um, so uh, I'm going to go see it. I will make sure I. You know, leave Jack at home. I go see the movie. I'm going to make sure of it. Uh, probably not until 
November 9th. That might be the movie I go – well, might be the movie I go see on November 9th after the election. But highly, highly, highly recommend that you go and see that movie, OK? So I just wanted to make sure I got that on your radar. Now, speaking of – OK? <laughs> speaking of past shows – Way back, uh, which is not that far back, I guess, April on April 4th of 2021, I featured Katie Porter, congresswoman uh, from California. I featured on the show as a featured idealist. You know, uh, I mean, many of the regular listeners here on AM 950 when I said the name Katie Porter, you know exactly who I'm talking about. For those of you, though, from across the world listening to this show, the other four listeners that I have that are outside of Minnesota, um, uh, if you don't know who Katie Porter is, she is uh, she's the she's the congresswoman, black hair, pretty straight talk, and who's got the whiteboards in congressional hearings where she's writing on whiteboards, getting people to agree to things. Well, uh, this week, uh, she was back at it with, uh, she didn't have any whiteboard where she was writing. It was all printed out already, but it was a series of graphs showing uh, uh, essentially how inflation is fueled by corporate profits. She was speaking with economist Mike Konzel, uh, Konzel probably, the director of microeconomic analysis at the Roosevelt Institute, who, trust me, was readily agreeing with everything that Katie Porter said. Um, Patrick, my great producer here, is going to play a clip, and I'll talk to you on the other end of uh, of it. Now, even though you don't have the visual, you, I think you're going to be able to follow this if you haven't seen it already on, on Twitter or YouTube. Okay, Patrick, go ahead and play the clip, please. According to this chart, what is the biggest driver of inflation during the pandemic? The blue is the, the dark blue is the recent period. It would be corporate profits. And what is that percentage? It is 54%, and that number does stay that level of high if you update that number to more recent numbers as well. So over half of the increased prices people are paying are coming from increases in corporate profits. Yes, the unit price index is reflected in corporate profits as opposed to other costs. And how does that compare to historically to other periods of inflation or over other periods of economic time? As reflected there in other analysis, it is significantly higher in this recovery. 11.5%. And what is it today? Uh, 53%. So I want to make sure everyone in America understands this chart. What is a unit labor cost? The cost, wages and an associated work cost. So we could just wages. What is a non-labor input cost? Uh, A variety of things, including um, maintenance and and investments. Okay. So... I, I have to buy the buy the stuff to make the widget. I have to have a factory. I have to keep the lights on. I have to hire someone to make the widget. That's this stuff. And this is what I add on, on top. You know, I mean, <laughs> she just kind of lays it out. And we, I mean, you and we're all going to the grocery store, right? I mean, I cannot believe, I can't believe how things have gotten so much more expensive in such a short period of time. Uh, And now I'm not saying that to you to drive you over to the other side of the Republican ledger because, uh, you know, remember, a unifier divider. But 
it's not like the Republicans are going to do something to bring down inflation. I mean, they're what they're going to do is do what helps with even greater corporate profits. So, uh, but Katie Porter, you got to love her. You know, you got to, I mean, just lays it out, tells us what's happening. And, you know, I know that we, I know that we live in a world, it's a capitalist society. I'm a cat. I've been a capitalist. I have employed people before to make, to pay them, you know, good wages, but to make money for me, I've done that. Yeah, I have. And, um, and, and I, I, I understand about capitalism. I do. But on the other hand, my God, it's been piling on. That's what it is. It's a piling on process. You know, Joe Schmo's raising their price a little bit. Well, we're going to raise ours a little bit more than a little bit, you know, and we'll just claim, you know, it's supply costs. Oh, my God, they're going up through the roof. But as Porter is demonstrating, the main driver here right now of inflation is corporate profits, like excess corporate profits. Everybody needs to make a profit. That I mean, I, I'm a big favor of that. Okay, I'm not here to tell anybody you run a business, you should just break even. Okay, I'm not here to tell you that, but I'm also here to tell you, you know, don't pile on, don't pile on. Okay, well, <laughs> I just I just had to play that Katie Porter clip because I just thought it was. Incredibly brilliant. All right. We're going to take another break. And when we come back from this break, uh, I'm going to talk with you, oh, probably about a, a, a happy story. And then we'll talk a little bit about another happy story. Okay. All right. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug. Love to hear from you. 952-946-6205. Remember the prompts out there. Have you ever talked to anybody on the other side? What would it take to get you to do it? Okay. Um, we'll be back on AM 950 in a second. I look to you when I see nothing. I look to you. Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio on lovely AM 950. Hi. Hello there. (laughs) How are you? In my best and sexiest radio voice, how are you? See, I can do that. I can. But I don't. (laughs) Oh, boy. Am I making you laugh at least? Okay, now remember, I've got a prompt out there. I started off the show talking about the need to talk to those who are on the other side. Have you done that? And if not, what would it take to get you to do that? Give me a call at 952-946-6205. In the meantime, between now and the, and the four of you, uh, my regular listeners who are going to call in, um, let me uh, share happy stories with you. Why don't we do that for the rest of the show? Okay? Why don't we, you know... One that's happy probably for everybody and the two that kind of happy for Ellie Krug. So um, happy story number one for everyone. You all know, although I don't harp on it, I hope too much, I am running for the school, dist- uh, the school board for the Eastern Carver County Schools 
uh, District 112 School Board. And uh, and uh, trust me, I'm very much looking forward to November 8th. Uh, as soon as this show's over, I'm going to go door knocking, okay? Tomorrow, another beautiful day. It's a beautiful day in, in Minnesota today. Beautiful, beautiful day. Great day to ride your bike. I'll be door knocking. Tomorrow, another beautiful day. I'll be door knocking. Can't wait till November 8th comes, all right? But... District 112, Eastern Carver County Schools. I'm telling you about this, not Ferelli Krug. I'm telling you about this because I don't know if you caught it, but over this week, there was a football game between um, the Chanhassen Storm, which is a school, Chan Chanhassen, and its high schools within District 112. They were playing the uh, the Bloomington uh, uh, Bloomington Jefferson um, High School. And they were playing at TCF Stadium. So for those of you not familiar with that, that's where the University of Minnesota plays. So it's a pretty big special deal to be playing at, at TCF Stadium. And uh, for for this whole season, and I think for last season as well, the football team has had a student manager. Um, his name is Wesley Parker. Um, he has some you know challenges, but he just apparently w- totally loved by the football team. And uh, earlier this year, as the coach and the quarterback were making their plans for the season, how they were going to pull it out, the quarterback, not the coach, the quarterback said, I want to make sure that Wesley scores a touchdown this year. So this week, as Chan was playing Bloomington, okay, and with the help, of course, of the uh, Bloomington team, Wesley Parker got all suited up in a uniform and a helmet. And uh, he was – the ball was hiked to him by the quarterback. And Wesley – I think they started out at the 15-yard line. Maybe it was the 20-yard line. But Wesley ran. He ran. Chan, you know, players blocked. Uh, the Bloomington players put up, you know, uh, a defense. But, but Wesley ran and scored a touchdown. And the whole Chanhassen football team came out and just rejoiced with Wesley, and you could tell that the Bloomington players were also very touched um, by what happened. Now, I, you know, and, and I share this story with you, and, and, and if you go, I mean, all you have to do is Google Chanahassen uh, football manager touchdown, and you'll get some stories. There's a couple of, I mean, CBS, uh, the CBS affiliate here did a story that Channel 9 uh, news did a story on this. Oh, you, you'll find it and you'll see Wesley talking about how special it was for him. And you'll see the coach as well as the football players, the quarterback and Wesley's parents. And I, I'm sharing this story with you because, you know, we need – I, I saw this on Twitter and I wrote back, humans have good hearts. I did. We do. Remember, I, I'm going to say it again. Regular listeners, you know exactly what I'm going to say. 98% of all humans have good empathetic hearts. We do 2% totally challenged. But the other 98% of us do. And when we're given pathways on how to exercise our empathetic hearts, we will show up in droves. We will. And getting Wesley, letting, you know, putting Wesley in a position where he can score a touchdown, pretty big deal for Wesley, pretty big deal for the team. As um, one of the newscasters remarked, 
probably something that the team members will never, ever forget, nor Wesley. So, you know, and I'm thrilled and proud that this was District 112. Yep, it would be incredible to be able to represent them as a school board member, but we'll see what the voters decide. You know, early voting's going on right now. Probably find out uh, that quite a bit today as I door knock. All right. Now, that was a happy story for all of you. <clears throat> Let me give you a happy story for me. So this week, happy story one of two for me. This week, um, I flew to San Francisco. I got on a plane around 11 o'clock in the morning, got to San Francisco at 1 o'clock San Francisco time, 3 o'clock Minnesota time. Uh, and uh, uh, the next day on on Wednesday, so I flew out on Tuesday. On Wednesday morning, I spoke to a, a law firm and its clients. I did my signature gray area thinking human inclusivity talk, um, which was well received. But and I'll get back to uh, what my return trip. But when I got to San Francisco, I I I, I went early because uh, among other things. Um, I wanted to make sure I could go visit a museum in San Francisco. I love museums. I love art. I'm not – don't ask me a whole lot about a whole lot of artists. But I have my favorites. I absolutely do. Don't get me started, you know, about Edward Hopper. Don't get me started. You know, um, but uh, – but so literally right – I mean we're like talking – not even a block down the street from where my hotel was, was the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. And, uh, and I'm like I, – and I didn't check out what they would have in advance. I'm just like, I'm going. I'm just going to go see what they have. Well, it turns out that they had an exhibit um, about Diego Rivera. Now, uh, I knew very, very little about Diego Rivera and 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 many of you may not know what his art is, but he has it's art where he's got chubby, you know, chubbyish people, not exactly, but it, it's a very large life form. It's it's a it's a very real life form um, in terms of the uh, the. The, the things that he, he painted. Now, Diego Rivera was born in 1886. He lived until 1957, died at age 71. He was born in Mexico. And he is most noteworthy for murals uh, that he painted. Beginning in Mexico, after, following the Mexican Revolution, the Mexican government wanted to um, – Wanted to support artists but couldn't support them very well. I mean they didn't get paid a whole lot. But they wanted to support the idea of art in Mexico and pride about Mexico. And so what Diego Rivera started doing was creating murals, you know, on the sides of, of – uh, on the interiors of buildings um, like, uh, you know, above a stage or in a hallway within a government building. Um, and his pictures are m largely of of – of um, life in the country in Mexico, what that's like, you know, village uh, dances, uh, village squares, village um, uh, open-air markets, things of that nature. Um, it turns out that Diego Rivera, you know, uh, became a Marxist. In fact, uh, uh, he and his wife hosted Leon Trotsky and his wife in Mexico City – 
uh, when Diego Rivera was residing there. That, of course, was before Trotsky was assassinated in this as the start of a very, very long strings of assassinations um, in Russian history uh, uh, for political, dis- polit- political dissidents. Um, we won't go down that road. But uh, so I go to the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art and I see this incredible exhibit about Diego Rivera. I mean more than 150 different murals. And what happened during the course of uh, – in the uh, early – late 30s, early 40s is Diego Rivera started coming to the US um, and particularly in San Francisco. So um, he he painted three murals in San Francisco I guess a little earlier uh, from 1930, 1931. Uh, one of them is in the Pacific Stock Exchange building. My god, it is just – they. They, the mural they had they had like a, a a movie of what that mural looked like. I mean, they couldn't pull the mural off the wall to bring it into the museum. But it's called the Allegory of California, and the work centers around an oversized female figure. I'm reading now, representing California, and features several workers plying their trades. Um, then there's a second uh, mural in San Francisco, the making of a fresco showing the building of a city. Uh, that's the title of it. Uh, uh, which uh, features an open building with several rooms, each filled with people working on various tasks. Um, now, Diego Rivera, I mean, he became kind of, you know, he had some American patrons. He was, you know, very – in the 30s and early 40s, he was a uh, very much in demand in the U.S. And, of course, uh, he was making more money up here than what he was making in Mexico. So uh, um, the Rockefeller Center – you know, Mr. Rockefeller um, uh, uh, commissioned him uh, to paint a mural for for the Rockefeller Center in New York. Uh, and he began his work on a mural titled Man at the Crossroads. A figure stood at the center of the main fresco and in the various sections surrounded him appeared scenes from science, industry, politics and, his, and, and history – sorry, in industry. To the right and left center, giant statues of Jupiter and Caesar loomed. The Rockefellers took exception to the inclusion of Lenin in the mural. And when Rivera refused to remove, remove Lenin from the mural, uh, Rockefellers canceled the work and had the mural destroyed. However, uh, Diego Rivera had taken fi- pictures of that mural and he then went and played and created a similar mural in the Palace of Fine Arts in Mexico City. Um, so I-, I tell you about this about Diego Rivera, in part maybe because like, you know, like me, you didn't know who he was. I mean, I had an idea about him, but I did not know the extent of his influence. But I've got to tell you, he was a man of the people trying to show the world what hardworking people were like. And he did not believe in capitalism. He did not. He, He did believe in communism. Okay. I mean, in that sense, I think he was idealistic about trying to change the world. But he's somebody who stuck to his guns. He did. And he and he gained what he needed. He gained in notoriety simply because he was who he was. He didn't bend uh, to the winds to please somebody with a bunch of money. To me, that's pretty great, you know? I really think so. So anyway... If you go to San Francisco, go and see this exhibit. Um, 
uh, Diego Rivera, and uh, at the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. Highly recommend it. By the way, it's a great museum all in of itself. You you remember – well, our younger people won't know this. But do you remember Love Story? You know how they've got L-O-V-E and red letters, you know. and Well, the love sculpture is at this museum. And uh, I – a couple of wonderful young men uh, took my picture next to it. It actually took several pictures because they weren't happy with the original one. So I got that. I sat outside in this wonderful, wonderful mezzanine. Sipping a glass of Chardonnay, watching, looking at be- – oh, it was 76 degrees December. OK, don't get me started. It was just a beautiful, wonderful experience. All right. We're going to take one more break. When we come back, I'm going to tell you one other thing that made me happy quite unexpectedly. But yeah. All right. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. If uh, You're going to get one more chance to call me, 952-946-6205. Uh, and we'll be back in a second. Thanks. LA 2.0 Radio. Okay. Um, so, San Francisco this week, let me tell you, just wonderful. I even got some great sea- seafood while I was there. Yep, 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 yep. And it was a wonderful trip. So, so uh, you know, I'm. Uh, it, it's always, if you've ever f- flown to the West Coast, uh, it's always tricky coming back. Depending on, you know, if you're trying to come back after noon – because of the time difference, it starts to get a little tricky. Uh, it can get tricky. So I had uh, just to be on the safe side, I had booked a flight uh, for four o'clock out of San Francisco back to Minneapolis, uh, which would have gotten me into Minneapolis about 10 o'clock at night. Uh, oh, yeah, 10, yeah, 10-ish, which meant I would have gotten home after 11. Uh, so you know, but I knew there was an earlier flight that was leaving at um, one o'clock, and uh, but I didn't think I was going to make it with the way the uh, the training went. And when I was leaving, and well, it turns out I got to the airport, got through security, I get to the airport. the The one o'clock flight was leaving in the out of the gate next to the four o'clock flight, and as it turned out, I got there just as they were ready to. You know, close the doors. I mean, everybody was already on the plane. So I went up and I said, Hey, do you happen to have any seats? And uh, the Delta person said, Well, we do. And so I, you know, she said, Gonna be a middle seat. I'm like, Well, okay. All right. Cause it was gonna get me home at, uh, you know, I would have been home at, at 6 30, quarter to seven instead of 11 15. Get on the plane, sit next to a woman. Uh, so the, it's the uh, the next to back exit row. So the woman that had the window seat actually had nothing in front of her all the way to the uh, uh, the exit door. And so uh, – but, you know, me, I, I'm, I'm – you may not know this, but I'm an introvert. And particularly after I've done a training, after I've done all that work, you know, I just kind of want to like de- decompress. So I put in my headphones. I read usually the Atlantic – and I'd kind of just chill out. Well, we're an hour, hour and a half into what is a four-hour flight. 
and you know it's time to come by with uh, you know if you want to get something to drink. And so I pull the ear, earbuds out and I'm like, yeah, you know, I'd like to have a Chardonnay. And the woman next to me who had been quiet the entire time doing her own thing uh, just piped up. She said, uh, I'll buy that for you. And I, I, I said, excuse me? And she said, I, she said I've got extra di- di- uh, drink tickets. I, I travel a lot. I'll buy that for you. And I was just – I was blown away. I was flabbergasted. She bought her own drink as well. And, and so for the remainder – remaining two and a half hours of that flight, uh, we, all we did was talk. And I'm not a big fan of like, – like I said, talking on the plane but – it seemed like the right thing to do, and then it just kind of took on a life of its own. Well, I found out, you know, she lives in the Twin Cities. She's a dog person, like I am. Uh, she, you know, lives alone. You know, found out some other things. You know, she involved with a company. She actually does training, like I do training, uh, but not uh, training not for sales. I do training for helping humans get along with each other better. But it was a lovely, incredible conversation. It was. Um, we even got another round of drinks, which I bought at that point. You know, not like we're having this huge party on Delta, trust me. But it was a reminder to me that you can, you know, never tell the story about anybody simply by looking at them. And I just was so touched that she would do this. And then we, we – you know, we've emailed now since we're back about trying to get our pups together and, you know, and, and me meeting uh, some people in her life. And, and I just so incredibly thankful that she did that. Had she not, I, I'm sure we wouldn't have communicated. I mean, it would have been a nice, hi, how are you at the end of the flight, you know, as we're getting our stuff ready to get off. But I just, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm very thankful. And it reminded me about the power of, you know, kindness and how one person's kindness can act to create connections and how those connections can make you feel not so alone. See? See how that works? Okay. Well, anyway, I wanted to share that with you because that's a happy Ellie Krug story. All right. Well, listen, we've got another show done. Okay. This was show number 249, all in the can. Big thanks to my producer, Patrick. You, uh, Patrick, you always do great, and I really appreciate it. And to you, my listeners, we didn't hear from you today, but that's okay. The four of you are busy. I know it's a beautiful day, so don't worry about it. We'll catch you some other time. Um, but between now and when you hear my voice next, will you do me a favor? Will you go out, do something kind for another human, and in your own way, make the world better? Will you do that? I'd appreciate it. All right. Take care. Talk to you next week. Thanks so very much. Ellie Krug, all out. Bye.